uh, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to the expounding of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us in all the things that you would teach us. And we pray that we learn them not for ourselves, but for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we looked at the situation into which Moses was born. And we know that he was born to two Jewish parents of the tribe of Levi. They were Amram and Jochebed. And at the time, Pharaoh of Egypt tried to decrease the population of the Israelites by making them slaves and ordering the Jewish babies to be drowned in the Nile River. It was a process of genocide which took place in about three Ways that the first way we learnt was first of all that they were made into slaves, so called to, to work hard in making bricks. They were also uh, treated harshly and cruelly, made to work in the fields as well. Uh, secondly, the midwives, the Jewish midwives, were asked to uh, kill the male boys that were born, and then finally that the young boys would be thrown in the river. He got the whole of Egypt, uh, the Egyptians on his side, or tried to, that they would participate in the genocide of the Jewish people, at least in, in the males, with the idea of having the, the race stop and not, in he, he said he feared, in overtaking them in numbers, especially if they were invaded and they might side with those who had invaded. Now, as we know, Moses' parents knew this and, and they knew that this violated God's will. And they protected Moses initially by hiding him. 
for about three months until it became unsafe for them to keep hiding him. And so what his mother did was um, make a waterproof basket, uh, put him in the Nile, and put him in the Nile at a location where she knew that he would be found. And in God's providence, it was Pharaoh's daughter who found him, and rather seeing that he was a Jewish baby, when she saw that he cried, had compassion on him, and took him and adopted him as her son. We know that in God's working that Miriam, Moses' older sister, <coughs> she was older for about, by about three years, arranged for him to be nursed by his own mother. And Hebrews 11.23 tells us that Moses' parents saw that he was a beautiful child. Now Stephen, when he stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts before he was martyred, he told the Sanhedrin, the um, Jewish religious ruling body, he said that Moses was born and he was lovely in the sight of God. In other words, this was a child that God, in a very special way, had his hand upon him. Now Moses' parents somehow also knew that God had a very special purpose for him and they did everything, as we see, to save him. Now, I've no doubt that when Moses' mother was, uh, he was nursed by his mother, that she taught him about the promises of God to Israel. She would have taught him that they were God's chosen people who would inherit the promised land, which would become a great nation and from which the whole world would be blessed. We know that that blessing is about Jesus. And she would have also told him the first Mosaic hope that is found in Genesis 3.15, where God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between, Adam, uh, between Satan and Eve, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The offspring was to be of, of a woman. It would be her offspring and she would strike Satan. Now, Moses' mother also taught the promises, other promises and great truth and imparted them to Moses. And this is where his faith, his strong faith, would, would become so characteristic in his life. It was from the teaching of his parents. Though Moses was later adopted into Pharaoh's household, his parents' faith was always vindicated, for he grew up to be a godly leader and the one who led his people out of Egypt. He was the one who became at that time their deliverer. But there was a problem. This is what I'm getting to today. Uh, last week we knew most of those things. And they're just a reminder. But God had to mould Moses into the leader he wanted him to be. It wasn't just enough for his mother and his father to teach him the promises of God. Uh, Moses himself had to be moulded into the leader that God wanted him. In fact, Acts 7.22 says, And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians 
and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Again, that comes from Stephen. Now this meant, first of all, and God put him in Egypt, it wasn't by accident. Moses was educated by the nation that was a superpower of its day in the ancient world. <clears throat> Egypt had a strong economy. It had a highly developed social culture. Um, the Egyptians were able administrators and organisers. They also had um, great seafaring knowledge and trade. They had highly developed engineering, mathematics and astronomy, no doubt mixed with astrology as well. With their knowledge of astronomy, we know that they developed a very accurate calendar. And with their prowess in engineering, again we know that they built wonderful structures like the pyramids that are still standing today. <coughs> Excuse me. Now Moses would have known all of these things. He would have known about their priests and their doctors who were experts at embalming. As a prince of Egypt, he would have learnt these things and things that would have helped him when he became the leader of the children of Israel. He would have learned about military science, everything from archery to wrestling to holding a sword and how to fight with it and so forth. These are things which his people would have needed later on when they went in to claim the promised land. He would have learnt how to write in both hieroglyphics and what's called hieratic writing. That's a simplified form of hieroglyphics. I think it's a bit like, it's a cursive form of hieroglyphics. Um, he may even have learnt some of the Canaanite and surrounding languages and he would have also learnt his native Hebrew from his mother. But nonetheless, Hebrews 11.24 tells us that by faith, when he had grown up, re Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Even though he had all those opportunities, he refused to be seen as an Egyptian. Because Moses knew that he wasn't an Egyptian. He knew he was a Hebrew. He knew that he belonged to God's chosen people. And from Stephen's sermon to the Sanhedrin, we can see that God revealed to Moses that he was to be the deliverer of his people. For again, Stephen says, he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. But Moses understood that he was to deliver his people. The sad part about it, a bit like the situation with Jesus and his own people, they initially did not understand that he would be their deliverer. But that didn't thought God's plans. But along the way, Moses still had to learn many important lessons. And we know from the reading that there was a day when Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And it's possible from what we read in the Hebrew that, as he, that the, the word means he may have been beating him to death. 
So if he didn't intervene, this Hebrew person would have died. It wasn't just a case he may have been mistreating him. So, but afterwards we know that he actually killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand thinking that this act hadn't been seen. Because it had been seen, what he forgot about, if anything, was the fact that the person he saved would have talked about it. But what this shows is that Moses was a man of good character with compassion. That he may have learnt these things from his mother who could not stand by and see a baby boy drowned. And believe it or not, even his adopted mother, although she was Egyptian, we're told she still had compassion upon him and was willing to bring him up as a prince of, his, uh, of Egypt. And so he had both examples of compassion, one born of nature from his mother, the other from nurture from his Egyptian mother. Now, although he was compassionate, especially towards his people, and his motives sincere, he could also be impetuous. In fact, it was that impetuousness and his anger that he could show that stopped him ultimately from going in to the promised land when he disobeyed God. But having said that, again, none of this stopped God's plans. For what Moses did at that time was take the law into his own hands. First of all, he knew who he was. He knew where he had come from, who his people were. He knew what he believed. And this is what impelled him to act. He did what he did sincerely, but nonetheless he broke the law. Uh, later on he would learn he'd broken God's law and it said, thou shalt not kill. Now, first of all, by killing one Egyptian, he was not going to liberate all the people of Israel or disrupt the whole of the Roman Empire. Secondly, by intervening in the dispute, the two later on, when he later on interfered with two Hebrews fighting, he only antagonised them. He didn't act like a deliverer at all. He just put their back up, especially the one who started the fight. What the Hebrews didn't want is another killer as their leader. They didn't want another person who would commit genocide just like their Egyptian leader was doing. They'd experienced too much of that sort of thing from Pharaoh. Or put it another way, they didn't want one bloodthirsty leader taking over from another. Now, as we know, even though he tried to hide the murder, and that's what it was, Pharaoh found out, and we're told that when Pharaoh heard of it, this, he tried to kill Moses. And we might say, hang on, he was a prince of Egypt. That was just a uh, taskmaster or slave master. Why would a prince of Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh, want to kill him? Quite possibly, we don't know. It's because Pharaoh knew that he was a Hebrew and didn't really want him around and wasn't prepared to defend him or to look over what he did. But the one thing that Moses had to learn was 
there was no way that he could single-handedly overthrow the might of Pharaoh. And so what Moses did was flee to Midian, a place just outside of the Egyptian authority. And to put, put it bluntly, what Moses did, and we don't often pick this up in the scripture because we, we've read it time and time again when we brought up in Christianity, Moses actually messed up. As we put it these, these days, he really messed up. He mucked up what he was doing. And what Moses had to learn was to do things in God's way in obedience to him and to do it with God's help. The stake he made was to try and do everything in his own strength and without God, it was a recipe for disaster. Now while in Midian, remember Moses at this time was about 40 years of age, uh, when he went into Midian, he saw some shepherds. They were harassing the daughters of a priest of Midian and they were trying to get water out of a well to feed their flock. Now again, he intervened. It doesn't say he was angry or anything like that, but he intervened. We presumed he fought these uh, people who were trying to stop the women from getting the water and he actually himself watered their flocks of sheep and they were able to come home early to, to their father. Now instead of um, having to flee or anything from this kind act, in fact he was rewarded. He was rewarded with a home. Um, the, the priest who was the father of the daughters gave one of the daughters in marriage to him out of thankfulness. And also he gained friends and from that, ultimately, he gained a family. And during this time, Moses himself changed. He was co content to be where he was. He even named his first son, saying his name was Gershom. And he said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. It appears from what we can gather that he'd actually become, as we say it, to the end of himself or at the end of his tether. It's all in probability that Moses at this time saw himself as a failure, saw himself as a nobody. In other words, I'm a stranger in a strange land, I'm a, I'm a nobody. I've failed in what I'm meant to do and I'm prepared to live in obscurity because I am nothing. Now, when, when you're at rock bottom and you are nothing, that's a good place to be with God. Because when we look at it, none of us deserve to be saved. When, it, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, what he meant was he used a Greek word which meant that there are two Greek words for poor. One was the person who gets by and scratches. The other one was the beggar who holds out his hand and isn't willing to look into your face because they know that they've come to the end of themselves, they have nothing, they're totally dependent on what they give to you. In Greek it's patokos. So you, they're so patokos poor, they have to depend on others to even exist. That's where Moses was, spiritually. He did have a family, he, he was able to live, but he was at the completely spiritually poor 
at the end of himself. Sure, he believed in God, but he knew they had to learn that he couldn't save his people and do God's will in his own strength. And that's the same with us as well. But more importantly, the lesson that both we can learn and Moses had to learn was that during this time that God still loved him. He cared for him even in the midst of his failures and mistakes. By this time, I'm talking about another 40 years, he was 80 years old before he met God in the burning bush. But it took 80 years for Moses to realise two things. One, he couldn't do it himself. Secondly, even in the midst of failure, God did not break his promise. He didn't say, you're a failure, you're not going to be a deliverer anymore. Go away, just mind the sheep and do as you're told. No, God was preparing him during, even in times of failure and his mistakes to do the work he called him to do. And one of the things a shepherd learns is that sheep are stubborn. And one of the things that um, the Israelites were called was stubborn and stiff-necked people. God had to learn. I hope there's no Jewish people here, are there? In, in it, one of my churches is a Jewish last there, a Jewish Christian. And um, God continually, or Moses too, said, you're a stubborn, you're a stiff-necked people. And God was training him at this time as a shepherd to lead his people with these stubborn sheep and later with these stubborn people, just like he did with King David, who was a shepherd. It was good training to be a leader of his people. And when I say that, we as Christians, whether Gentiles or Jews, are just the same, stubborn and stiff-necked and have to learn not to try and do things in our own street strength. And when we look at the scripture, we find that the, there was another factor which helped bring about the deliverance of God's people during Moses' time in Midian. And it wasn't in Midian, it was in Egypt, where the Egyptians were in slavery. We're told that they were still groaning in their slavery. They groaned in slavery. Even with the new Pharaoh that had reigned and forgotten about Moses or didn't care less, we're told they cried out and their cry for help. When they cried for help because of their slavery, it went up to God. Now, first of all, we find that they literally, uh, to translate it from the Hebrew, they moaned, it means they shrieked, uh, and then they called for help. Now, first of all, moaning is a natural response to our reaction in trouble. And, and shrieking is a natural reaction from affliction. You know what it's like when you, um, especially the guys, if you hit your hand with a hammer and, and you'll shriek out and you'll moan about it. And, uh, well, let's be honest, I do. And... Um, but the thing is, the other thing the Egyptians did was they cried out for help. And we're, we're told that that cry went up to God. It's when they prayed to God, he heard their prayer. 
you can shriek and moan and you can carry on and forget about God and say the world is against you. But when you turn to God, as they did, that's when God will hear your prayer. Now, we know that neither time nor political change would have brought any relief. Um, but prayer is what made the difference. And verses 24 and 25 of this passage tell us three uh, tell us God did three things. First of all, he heard the Israelites and this caught his undivided attention. We're told that he was concerned about them. In fact, we're told that he looked on, he saw, as if he reviewed the situation that they were in. And thirdly, as I said, he was concerned. That means that he, he knew what was going on. And he re reviewed it. And the Hebrew word um, means more than just understanding the facts of a situation. It can be used of knowing someone in an intimate relationship. In human terms, the Bible uses it of the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. And this is a word that um, God uses in Scripture here. And spiritually... It, it is also used in other parts of the Bible, like Psalm 1-6, where it says, God knows the way of the righteous. It means he records how they are and maintains an intimate and knowledgeable relationship with them so that as they go through life and he watches over them. God had not abandoned his people, even though it felt like it. God was so concerned for their flight, he later said to Moses, I am concerned about them. I know their suffering, so I have come down. Now, even though the children of Israel still suffered, we see behind the scenes that God had heard their prayer and he had entered into a relationship with them and he was in the process of actually delivering them. And this is also a demonstration of the power of prayer. For it was prayer was one of the things that made the difference. Now, the Israelites' uh, need gave rise to prayer and they were commended for their need. We too can come to God in our prayer and our times of need and pray to him. And we can approach him in many different ways. We can make a request on one of his promises. You can imagine um, the Israelites saying, Lord, you promised that you would give us a land of our own. When are you going to give it to us? This is a promise of yours. And we can do that because he has made this promise and we can ask. We can come to him asking in the name of his son, the Lord Jesus, Meaning that this means that we come to him, to the Father, as those united by faith in Christ. But the most wonderful thing that we can learn from this passage is that no matter what we're going through, no matter what the difficulties are, God loves us so much that he will come when and answer our needs. Now, one of the greatest mysteries about prayer 
is that it promotes God's purposes. And yet we're told in Scripture that God has already planned what is going to happen from beginning to end. Yet in some way, and as I said, it's a mystery, our prayers assist in God's purposes. Now, only in the mind of God is that worked out. I can't work out how prayer makes any difference to what God has planned when he said it's going to happen and will happen. But in some way it does. After all, God keeps his promises to keep his covenant to his people. He did bring them out of slavery. He, he didn't need their help. He didn't need Moses' help. He doesn't need our help in the things that we ask. And yet the Bible tells us to pray and even Jesus tells us to pray. God, we know, didn't need reminding. But he uses terms that we understand and he loves to hear our prayers and he condescends to accommodate his eternal purpose to them. It's almost as if he says, thank you for reminding me. And that's why it says in the scripture here, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's putting it in terms that we understand. Of course God didn't forget. But we... It's really reminding us that he is the one who will keep the covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I just want to end by saying that Moses may have thought he was a failure, humanly speaking. Really, he was. But God plus one is a majority. You may not know church history very well, I don't know, but there was a controversy called the Arian Controversy in, the, I think, about the second century of the early church. And this was a controversy that would have made us like the Jehovah's Witness today, that, got, that would have said that Jesus was only a man, or a God. That's what the Jehovah's Witness say. It's Arianism. Their belief is really Arianism in, in a modern disguise. Nothing is new. But one man stood up and rebuked this and, and fought against it and eventually convinced the church that it was wrong and that Jesus is God. And it's true that one man plus a majority uh, plus one, God plus one is a majority. And Moses had to learn that. And that through him all things are possible. As God's people, we're expected to wait upon him. We don't know why it took 80 years before God answered their prayer through Moses from the time of his birth. What Exodus, and for all, all that matter, the whole of Scripture actually tells us when we read it is that God keeps his promises, he fulfills his plan in his own time and his own way and that we don't often see him working behind the scenes. But when you read the scriptures, you actually do see God working. You may not see everything that goes on in heaven and earth, but you can see that God, even to the point of the, the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus, that God kept his promise that he would bless the whole world through the Messiah in his own time, in his own way, in all of that, he was working, even in the difficult times.
our duty, if you like, or our job is to wait in prayerful faith, knowing that we can trust him throughout our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you truly are a faithful God. We know that the scriptures tell us you cannot lie because it's totally against your nature because you are holy. But Lord, like Moses, there are times we come to our wit's end. There are times we do things and we think that we're doing them faithfully for you in our own strength. And all of a sudden we hit a brick wall and we have to learn to be picked up by you, knowing that we cannot pick ourselves up and to do things in your strength and not our strength. But Father, we thank you that you call us and in that calling, when we're obedient to you, you give us work to do alongside of you and with you because you love us and we were made in your image. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.